Hello, welcome to the Lansing Area Church of Christ's weekly message podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. We've got a new sermon series for April called We Are, Identity in Christ. Today's sermon from Joel Nagel kicks off that series and is titled Deceived Identity. Your perspective shapes your behavior. The unique way that you see things changes your whole life. It affects how you see things day to day. Take people's perspective about church, for example. Some people see church like a restaurant, and they're mad when they don't get what they want. Some people uh, see church like a movie, and they're upset when they don't get entertained. Some people see church as a temple. It's a place where you come to worship God, to be holy. Some people see church as a field, like we got work to do. Some people see church as a family reunion, and that's how I've been looking at it this year. I think some of those things are good ways to see church, some not so much. Uh, but a family reunion where every, you know, almost every week it's like, whoa, hey, you're back. It's so awesome to see you. Our perspective changes everything. What about our perspective on marriage? You know, we've got these cherished classes coming up that we talked about and the book by Gary Thomas. Another book by Gary Thomas that I read is, is one of the most challenging and impacting books on marriage I've ever read. It's called Sacred Marriage. And uh, it really got me to change my perspective about marriage. He asks the question, if you take one sinful person and then you add another sinful person, should you expect to be more happy? Only if you're bad at math, (laughs) right? Um, And so instead of thinking my marriage is to make me happy, my marriage is to make me holy with the added benefit of a whole lot of happiness, especially if I have the right perspective. What's your perspective? Especially, and this this is what we're going to look at in this series this month, is what's your perspective, your perspective about who you are? What's your identity? You know, if you think you're the smartest person in a room, how do you act? If you think, man, I I don't belong in this room, I am an idiot, how do you act? Our perspectives, you know, changes the way that we act in certain situations. The way that we see ourselves, the way we perceive ourselves is so important. It's a big issue in our world today. Identity. You know, our perspective about who we are is so important that it's one of the main ways that Satan tries to ruin our faith. Satan wants to deceive our identities. He wants to tell us that we're someone that we really aren't. He wants you to question who you are. In fact, for Satan, this tactic is so powerful that he even uses it on Jesus himself. You can turn your Bibles to Matthew 4. We'll get there in a moment. Did you know that you are being assaulted every day by false messages about who you really are? 
the world, even friends and family, definitely entertainment and advertising, even Satan himself. They want you to see yourself through their vision, their often warped vision. And if we're honest, we have to admit that a lot of times it works. We end up with a messed up view of who we are. You know, you see this uh, when you watch the, the tryouts for American Idol. Uh, there, are, there are more than a few people who have been deceived about their singing ability. They believe that they are singers. They are not. And maybe their mom lied to them. Just, oh, honey, you're just, you just have the voice of an angel. Or their family and friends lacked the courage to tell them the truth. <clears throat> but they get exposed, and it's painful. And, and I can't talk too much because, you know, have you ever sung along in the car? Like, you're, like the radio's up really loud, and you're just saying, I don't stop, believe it. And then you hit that high note, I'm not even going to do it. And you're like, you think, I sound pretty good. Turn the radio off or down and keep going. Oh, no. <laughs> so bad. We easily get deceived about who we really are. You think, you think you're hitting that high note in life, some area of life, but if you turn it down and really listen to yourself, especially listen to God, you get a clearer picture of the truth. That's what this Identity in Christ sermon series is going to be all about for the month of April. And it's going to hit perfectly with Easter, the Sunday after Easter even. Uh, it's going to be so good for us and for family and friends that we invite. All right, let's look at Jesus. Let's see how he battled Satan's attempts to deceive his perfection. If you guys, oh, there we go. There's the title, Deceived Identity. And we'll look in Matthew chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That sounds like the understatement of the whole Bible right there. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I know this is a familiar passage we're going to work through today, but it's, it's so important for us to, to see the ways that Satan wants to deceive our identity. And the first, the first thought from this passage here is you are more than your wants. Talks about Jesus fasting here. I'm really bad at fasting. Even when I, fa if I fast for just one day, that's a struggle. There are many days when I'm not fasting and I skip breakfast, skip lunch, don't even think about it. I'm working, forget to eat. Not a problem. But if I know I'm fasting or even just trying to eat less or better, all I can think about is food. I mean, it's like so, it makes it so much harder. Everything sounds good. Uh, I notice restaurants I've never seen before. You know, like I get tempted by things that are ungodly, like Big John's steak and onions. Yeah. I stayed away from that temptation, by the way. Um, this interaction that Jesus has with Satan, Satan comes after 
Jesus has been fasting 40 days and nights. That's like the human limit, by the way. Can you imagine how starving, empty, and hurting Jesus must have been in this moment? When you fast for a long time, when you go without, you are vulnerable. You're desperate. And you know, it's not just about Jesus. This is us a lot of times. And, and certainly, this is the people around us that we should be inviting to this month's services. People are starving for attention, for relationships, for real love. People are empty from the sin and guilt and shame that comes with the sin. People are hurting emotionally, spiritually. And it's in those moments when we're feeling those things, that's when Satan chooses to come and speak to us. Or maybe that's when we really hear his voice even louder. When we're starving, empty, and hurting. When we're vulnerable or desperate, that's when he challenges our identity. We, we start to hear his voice. If you are a child of God, why don't you have a boyfriend? Why don't you have a girlfriend? Why are you feeling lonely? If you're a child of God, why didn't you get that job? If you are a child of God, why is your marriage so difficult right now? Why are you having such a hard time with your child or this relationship? Are you, are you a child of God? Satan asks Jesus, if you are the son of God, why are you so hungry right now? Why don't you have bread? Why aren't your immediate needs met if God is your father? You know, people at their lowest have two buttons. You know, those two buttons, pleasure and pain. Those are the oldest, most basic animalistic sensations. We want pleasure. We want to avoid pain. And so guess how Satan and the world and our sinful nature and influencers talk to us to warp our identities, to change our behavior? Well, they speak to us about pleasure or pain. They appeal through pleasure by showing us a messed up sexual culture with no consequences, with escapism through things that don't actually provide any relief, but leave us more hungry, starved. They appeal to us through pain by asking us, you're going to church? Has, hasn't, have you been hurt at that church? Why are you going to church? People who hurt you. Is the sacrifice really worth it? Jesus responds by elevating the conversation above our most basic instincts. Man does not live on bread alone. Sure, that, a piece of bread right now, that would bring some pleasure. That would end my pain. But there's more to it. You are more than your immediate desires. There's more to life than finding pleasure or avoiding pain. Jesus never promises, God never promises all pleasure and no pain. The world does but the world lies. 
There's no such life. Instead of a false promise, Jesus gives us a new perspective, a reason to deny pleasure, a reason to endure pain. Jesus wants us to be more than our base desires. There are higher motivations than pleasure and pain. There's joy, gratitude, love, impact and inspiration that we get to have. Satan wants you to settle for the lowest and easiest thing. He wants your identity to simply be a product of your wants. But you are more than your wants. You are more than your likes and dislikes. Isn't that what the world wants to reduce us to? We have to stop taking the easy way out of pain or the easy path to pleasure. It's okay. Even in a desperate moment, Jesus sees right through Satan's attack on his identity. He knows he's more than his wants. He is a child of God. Let's look at the second part. We'll keep reading here. You aren't owed anything. Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 goes on. It says that then, yeah, Satan's not done with him. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, there's that identity question again, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Such a scary moment when Satan is quoting the Bible. You know, There's a unique challenge that we have as parents. I want my kids to be successful. I want Genevieve to do awesome at basketball and have like a sweet poster block. um, And I want her to feel like a success. I want Amelia to live up to her nickname on defense and soccer and truly be the wall. As, As parents, you know, we're always propping up our kids' success. You want them to do well, to have confidence, to believe in themselves, but there's a challenge with this. When they do well, will they be humble? Satan challenges Jesus here. He says, throw yourself down. Jesus up on the temple, throw yourself down. See what God will do. See how awesome you are. It's like he's saying, Jesus, if you're the son of God, if that's your real identity, you're a pretty big deal. As a child of God, you should be able to do anything, whatever you want, without any consequences. Satan is tempting Jesus with entitlement. You know, Genevieve came home from uh, her first few tennis practices telling us that she was really good at tennis. She's like, I'm, I'm really good at tennis. And I was like, that's awesome. But I was also like, you have not held a tennis racket a whole lot in your life. How are you really good at tennis? And she's, you know, getting, becoming more athletic. And I'm like, okay, can you tell me more about the team? He's, well, the, you know, we had the coaches meeting, and the coach told us that we haven't won districts since 2006, and we always have a losing record. In fact, last year we were 2-20. and 20. Um, And so, I was like, okay, I, I think I see what's going on here. And I tried to help her make that connection, too, because that first match is going to be a dose of reality if you're really good on a team that's not very good. You know, I wonder, what if Jesus had begun to believe the hype? 
And that's what Satan's trying. Satan's trying to hype him up. You could, you could jump off a building. That's how awesome you are. That's how much God loves you. What if Jesus said, I'm really good. I deserve to be treated special because I am special. And the thing with Jesus is his hype was real. He was the son of God. He was really good. He was perfect. You know, what does it look like for us as Christians when we, when we start to act entitled? We start to believe that we're better or we're more deserving or we're owed. Here's some examples. You think you can say whatever you want, however you want to say it, without fear of negative consequences. All that stuff in the Bible about words being a forest fire doesn't apply to you. You're just laying down some truth. Here's another example. You wonder why no one notices how righteous you are. What? How much you serve? So you better start telling people. You don't want them to miss out on the glory, right? Or you can stay quiet and just be bitter. Another example. You feel disappointed sometimes that people aren't more like you, the way you live out your faith. They should serve the way you serve, give the way you give, believe exactly what you believe. It's entitlement. I'm a child of God, so I deserve special treatment. You know, we, we ignore the fact that God's son did end up receiving special treatment. He was nailed to a cross. You know, the truth is none of us are owed anything. And, if, and yet, if we stay humble, we'll receive everything. That's the great promise. And so we have to decide which perspective we're going to take into life. Two people's lives can look the same on the outside, but their inner monologue will be very different. One person can live for God, live righteously, do so much good, and be miserable, wondering why, why are these bad things still happening to me? Why am I not being recognized, waiting for the credit? Another person can live just as righteously, but have the perspective, I'm not going to test God. God doesn't owe me anything. And when good things happen, awesome. God, it's just a blessing from God. I don't deserve it. Bad things are going to happen too. You know what? That's okay. It doesn't change who I am. Are you a happy Christian or an entitled Christian? You can't be both. We need to be encouraged and affirmed. My little angel, you are so special. But we also need some self-awareness and some humility. No one, especially not God, owes us anything. Even Jesus knew this about himself, and he was pretty special. Amen. All right, the last thing. Satan's got one more lie that he tries to tell Jesus. Don't be owned by what you own. Matthew 4, verse 8 goes on. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You know, it's funny um, how we can become defined by what we own. 
Like uh, the last couple of weeks, if you said, hey, Joel, how you doing? I'd be like, pretty good. I bought a lawnmower. I'm not even excited about the lawnmower. Uh, I hate mowing my lawn. Hopefully, this will help a little bit. But it's this thing I got. I had to make room for it in my garage. I don't want to be defined by the glory of Sheila, which is what my kids call the lawnmower. Um, if I became known as, hey, oh, Joel, hey, I know him. He's that guy with the middle of the road zero turn. Um, <laughs> That's a sad existence, right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Satan shows Jesus something more than a riding lawnmower. He actually uses the word glory. Takes him up on a mount. Look at the glory. This could be yours. Glory. You know, that's not uh, a a word we, normally a word we associate uh, with, with things that aren't just God. Like we use glory as kind of an exclusive God word, right? But glory, you can glory in anything that you place value on. Satan tells Jesus he can have it all. He should have it all. Shouldn't a child of God have everything? You know, I wonder for us, is there some thing in your life that you're letting yourself be defined by? Ridiculous to be defined by a lawnmower, but what do you got? What is it? Do you have a treasured possession, a thing you glory in? Maybe it's not even a physical thing, something you own, but maybe something intangible that matters too much a special hobby, something you're really into, something that takes a lot of your time. Maybe it's a title you're going after, an ambition or a dream that you have. Maybe it's not a thing at all, but it's a person that has too much influence in your life. You know, I think there's probably nobody here who would say they worship Satan. You're in church. If you do, you're welcome here too, but let's talk. Um, but to worship, it means to be devoted, right? To sacrifice for something. And we all have things like that. The things that we worship end up defining us. They have a lot to say about who we are. If we worship God, you know what defines us? God defines us. That's awesome. Worship isn't just, you know, we come and sing songs because singing is fun. We sing songs because we need to get our perspective back about who God is and who we are, our identity. That's why we start each week worshiping on Sunday mornings, singing to God. Jesus responds to Satan very simply, you shall worship God only. And only is the key word there. Satan, he never starts his deception about our identities by telling us, to stop worshiping God completely. That wouldn't work, would it? Like, no, I'm not going to worship you, Satan. That's ridiculous. No way. We would easily reject that. It's an obvious lie. This is what God, or this is what Satan does instead. He tricks us into adding other things. Little add-on here, little add-on there. Like if I ever order a cheeseburger, there's no way I'm just getting the cheeseburger. There's going to be some add-ons, okay? 
And that's what Satan does with our lives. Oh, you worship God? How about God plus this? A little bit of that. Some double cheats. He gets us to give glory to other things, other people, other desires. And you know what happens? We end up being owned by what we own. Things that aren't God's at all. You can own whatever things, attitudes, passions you want. But watch out that they don't end up owning you. Amen. If you can own it, if you can control it, it can't possibly be God. So stop worshiping it. All right, let's close out here. Identity. That's what we're talking about this month. Identity. We looked at three ways that Satan lies to us about our identity. I want you to think about, have any of those things taken hold in your life? Have you believed the lies? Maybe have you even just listened to the lies? Well, that's a familiar one. Something to look out for. Satan wants you to be impulsively controlled by your basest desires, seeking quick pleasure, avoiding pain at all costs. But Jesus says you are more than your wants. Satan wants you to live like God owes you good things and to question why bad things happen to a righteous person like you. Jesus says you have been freely given grace. What more could you possibly be owed? Satan wants you to worship all of the amazing stuff in this world and in your life. Jesus wants you to worship the creator of all of that stuff and to worship him only. You know, Jesus could have responded differently to each of those lies. Remember, he was starving. He was empty. He was hurting, as we often are. But even though Satan repeatedly questioned Jesus' identity, saying, if you are the Son of God, are you really the Son of... Wait, you're the Son of God? Jesus never gave in because he knew who he was. He was a child of God, no matter how starving, empty, or hurting he was. Brothers and sisters, we too are children of God. And we can be just as steadfast. You know, each of Jesus' responses, if you look at the footnotes there, they they all come from the book of Deuteronomy. It's like Jesus was having quiet times from Deuteronomy. His identity didn't come from his own ideas about who he was or the world's ideas about who he was or even from his family or friends. Imagine if he had listened to his family. They thought he was crazy. Jesus' identity came from the word of God. We've got the ultimate guide to our identity. And and as I said, identity is a big deal in our world today. Here's the answer. It's ancient. If you look into this often, you'll never forget that you're a child of God above all else. James says this. He says, anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. It's like if you just have a shallow, like, oh yeah, my life is Bible adjacent. I'm around the Bible sometimes. I definitely have one somewhere. It's like looking at a mirror and forgetting that you've got 
ketchup on your, on your cheek and just go about your day. But if we're really in the Bible, we won't forget who we really are. We'll look in the mirror and see a child of God because that's what the mirror tells us. Knowing who you are, what your real identity is, it's not like passing a driver's test where you prove yourself once, you get that one driving test, and you're good, here's your license. Remembering who you are takes constant renewal, constant effort, because Satan isn't going to give up. It's not like he's going to be like, oh, she figured out she's the daughter of God, moving on to the next person, hope she has a great life. He's coming back again and again. Even, he even went after Jesus and Jesus' identity. We got to keep looking at the mirror. That's how Jesus was able to remember who he was. He kept the word of God on his heart so he wouldn't forget. Next week, we're going we're gonna to move past our deceived identity and we're going to look at our achieved identity. That's the life that you can build for yourself with the choices that you make. We're going to take some responsibility, amen? But you can't build if the foundation, if the reality of who you are is based on a lie. And so I want you to think about these notes. Pray through these things. Who are we? We're sons and daughters of God. Don't let anyone tell you any different. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God.